I wonder how you are feeling about restrictions lifting on the 19th of July. Maybe for you it's like a massive, huge relief. Maybe for some of you it's like, well, I'm not that fussed, to be honest. And maybe for others, it's really anxiety-inducing. And I think it's worth, many of us who are just looking forward to it, being aware of that. I saw a a BBC Web article uh, this week talking about a few people who were making these comments about the thought of lockdown. Katie, who works in a pub, said, the young people who will be mixing the most won't have had the vaccine yet. Going back to work in that environment is a real concern, she said. Another lady, Olivia, said, I feel that I've become detached from the way things were before the pandemic. And the thought of going back to activities such as sitting on a crammed bus or drinking coffee in a cafe feels overwhelming. Another lady, Zara, said, the thought of lockdown easing has massively affected my mental health for the worse. I've been experiencing anxiety attacks and sleepless nights unlike ever before. Social situations create a different kind of panic in my mind that has never been as apparent before. Another guy, Ross, who has a disability and has found working from home much easier, said, as someone with access needs, working from home has actually been a blessing. I feel that once uh, things ease and office life resumes, there will be a stigma put back on working from home. I wonder where you are. Huge excitement. Not that fast, or maybe very anxious. We're holding a session on Tuesday, not this week coming, but the following Tuesday, for those who are just feeling anxious. Lockdown's done all sorts of things to all sorts of people. And Liz May, who works in that profession, is going to be hosting an evening online, which many could find particularly helpful. Details on the website. But there's no question, having said all of that, there's no question that the lifting of restrictions is also an opportunity for renewed community, which many of us are looking forward to. Hence this four-part series, part three today, in which we're asking this question, what does it mean to be a loving New Testament gospel community as a community and as a witness in the wider community. We've been looking at a a passage in Romans chapter 12, which I'm going to read to you part of now, come up on the screen for you. Paul, the author of this letter to the church in Rome, says this, Romans 12 verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. He says, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. We'll stop there for the moment. Now, here's the major principle at work through that passage and the bit that follows. It's this, having been so extravagantly and graciously loved by God, live that out in your relationships. There was, a few years ago, there was the the acronym GIGO. Do you remember that? Some of you are old enough to remember it. Garbage in, garbage out. 
Well, I'd like to propose one lilo. Love in, love out. That's how it's meant to be. That's the major principle working here. God's love received must affect how we live in our relationships. Love in, love out. And the key word at the start of this passage is this in verse 9. Love. Love. It's the Greek word agape, which we translate as love. And as I've mentioned before, Paul has four times up to this point in Romans used the term agape. And he's always at that, he's always in those four instances been talking of God's love. God has shown agape to us. God has loved us sacrificially, graciously, outrageously. Four times he said that. This is the first time he transitions to say, so your love for each other must also feel and look like agape. That is the measure of love for one another. The beauty of church life should be like this, that this is community, to know that I'm accepted, to know that I'm loved, to know that whatever people in my workplace think of me, whatever people in the street, whatever people who think I'm a nutter for being a Christian, whatever other people might think, I know that in this family, there's acceptance and love and people will put up with me and all my faults and be gracious to me because we're part of a community that feels like agape. And part of how I experience agape, how I experience God's love for me is through you. And how partly how you experience God's love is through me too. So new life in Christ means new life in new community. Because the vertical must always translate into the horizontal. Jesus said exactly the same thing. He said, my command is this. Love each other, agape, as I have loved you. It's exactly the same thing. And today, we have, I've just got two words for you from this text. This is what agape in action means and looks like. It's the next two words in verse 13 that I didn't read. Practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Someone, someone sent this to me on Friday. A little story that goes like this. A friend of mine has got two tickets for the final at Wembley on Sunday, which is obviously tonight. Oh, and by, by the way, I received a terrible insult on my way in here this morning which I just feel, for the sake of sympathy towards me, I need to share with you. Someone was effectively saying, how, how old are you? In fact, they said, how old are you? And I said, 54, to be 55 this, later this year. And they were saying to me, you are the embodiment of all this nation's pain for the last 55, as it will be tonight, years since we won the World Cup. So if you want to know what pain looks like for this nation, you can just look at me and all but four months, I embody this nation's pain that we felt for what will be 55 years. You weren't meant to laugh, you were meant to sympathize with me. Thank you very much. A friend of mine has two tickets for the final at Wembley on Sunday, i.e. tonight, and he paid... 300 pounds, including accommodation. But what he, what he stupidly didn't realize was that when he bought them months ago was that it was going to be the same day as his wedding. If you're interested, he's looking for someone to take his place at Leatherhead Registry Office 
at 4 p.m. The bride's name is Deborah. <laughs> I really like that. It's clever. It's slightly insulting as well, and I understand all that. But it's clever for this reason, that it flips the expected ending with the one that was given. You thought he'd say, well, someone can have my tickets. That's not what he was saying at all. It flips the expected ending. And to understand these two words, practice hospitality, we're going to see in a bit a bit of a flip in what you might expect its meaning to be. Now, practice hospitality is a translation into English of two Greek words that Paul used when he wrote this letter. Philoxenian diokontes. Hospitality practicing in the NIV. And they need unpacking. So I am going to ask you not to just sit there and wait for the football tonight. I'm going to ask you to engage with me and come with me because these words need unpacking and you'll see a bit of a flip as we go on. Philoxenian hospitality is itself the combination of two words. Can you, anybody guess? Don't worry. Philos and xenos. The first philos means love, brotherly love, the sort of love that brothers would have for, or close friends would have for one another. And the second part, xenos, means foreigner or stranger. You might recognize it from the way we would use xenophobia, fear of or hatred of or suspicion or prejudice towards outsiders or strangers. And put together, philoxenion is hospitality, it's welcoming, it's warmth, it's concern, it's love for people who are not of my own natural family, perhaps even strangers to me. So imagine the setting in first century Rome. You might have Christians who are passing through town and they need somewhere to stay. You might have Christians who are fleeing persecution and they desperately need some hospitality. That's the sort of thing that Paul is talking about here. It's the same word, actually, that's used twice of the requirement for elders. Both 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 say an elder must be hospitable. The very same word. And Peter writes in his letter, his first letter, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So we're not only talking about strangers here, we're talking about a wide open heart that says, yes, you are welcome. Whether I know you already as part of my family, the community, or not. Hospitality. And then diocontes. And the NIV says, practice hospitality. That's how it translates diocontes. It's really weak. Every now and again, the NIV is great, but every now and again, it's really weak. Diocontes means this. It doesn't mean just practice it. It means this. It means strive for. It means seek after. It means pursue hospitality. It means aspire to it. It actually means aggressively chase after it. Like a hunter would pursue a catch. That's what that word actually means. And we get a good idea of the force of diocontes. This is how we're to do hospitality. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul uses it twice in the space of a few verses. In verse 6, he's talking about his credentials. And he's saying, as for zeal, 
persecuting the church. That's the same word as diocontes. Paul was aggressively pursuing the church. That's the force that he writes to the Romans and says, pursue hospitality with the same force. Later on, he uses it positively. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which God took hold of me. Now, many of us, I've heard sermons on that. Press on, Kelvin. Press on, Doris. Press on, Doug to take hold of what God's taken hold of you. Let me tell you, he's saying exactly the same thing about hospitality here. Doug, press on. Kelvin, press on. Strive after hospitality. Strive after a wide open heart that receives people, whoever they are. That's what New Testament community looks like. So if you put both parts of that together, this instruction is this which other translations say, strive to welcome people in. We might say this, as and when people need your welcome, whether they're friends or strangers, strive to open your heart and your life and your home to them. Slightly different than practice hospitality might first sound. Now I've got a question. Why is hospitality, of all the things that could be in this list, why is hospitality in this list of agape in action? Do you know why? Very simply, because God has been hospitable in that sense to us. He's pursued us. Outsiders, enemies, strangers to him, he has pursued us with huge passion and huge dedication to draw us in. His big-hearted grace has invited us unconditionally into his household. And if, as I said, this principle that runs through this whole passage, if God's agape to us is the model for our agape to one another, then listen, hospitality has to be at the core of who and what we are. You see, when God's agape touches our hearts, it becomes a river that flows to others rather than remaining a stagnant pool for ourselves. And regardless of our personal circumstances, all of us can be that type of person. See, here's the flip. Remember I said there'd be a flip? Here's the flip. Here's the flip in the expected meaning of these two words. Understanding what Paul actually meant takes practice hospitality from something that outgoing, well-off people with a large house and plenty of money can do to something we can all be. It's about a big heart, not a big home. It's about servings of love, not more than servings of food. It's about inviting people into our lives, not just into our homes. If I'm honest, my heart is sometimes wide open and sometimes a little bit shut. I noticed I've got 
My grass really needs a cut, but I don't want to cut it because it's full of dandelions. And it's the only colour in my grass, of course. And I, I didn't want to... Can you just go back a slide? Um, and here it is at nine o'clock in the morning. They're all there. They're just shut. The potential is there. They're shut. But then when the sun starts shining on it... <laughs> that was good, eh? When the sun starts shining on it, these things just open up. Now, I know that's obvious and basic to a gardener, but this week I just found it amazing. These things just open up. The warmth of the sun, the bright light, causes them to open. They even turn. As the day goes on, they they slowly turn as the sun moves across the sky. My heart, I notice, is a bit like those dandelions. I can be quite closed and self-protective. At other times, I can be wide open to other people. But God's heart is never closed. His agape is always in action. He is always welcoming, always arms wide open. A few weeks ago, I spoke from Luke chapter 7 and a story about Jesus. And it talks about when he approached a woman who was just about to bury her only son, This is what it says of Jesus. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. That's hospitality. That's where a hospitable, open life comes from. It's a heart that goes out to people. You need one another. We need each other. I need your help. You need my help. We need hearts that are open to one another. Holy Spirit, will you please help us have hearts that are wider open, that look more like my dandelions in the middle of the afternoon than first thing in the morning. Now, all of this very quickly hits on a few personal challenges and cultural challenges. Let me mention them to you quickly. Because Peter says, offer hospitality without grumbling. Remember, we're not talking, we're talking about wide open hearts. Well, here's a few challenges that I've thought of. The first is expectations. I wonder if before I'd said anything this morning, if I'd stood up here and said, let's play a word association game. I'm going to start with hospitality. What's the next word? I'm absolutely sure that the next words would be ones like this. Entertaining. Dinner. House. Lavish, those sorts of things. I'm absolutely sure. I'm hoping by explaining what Paul is really saying that we're chopping down those silly expectations of what it means to be hospitable. I remember a family in church I was in in Lewis, and I was the pastor, and they came for the first Sunday. They never came back, but anyway, it's still a good story. They, and they invited us around for lunch. Well, I was used to inviting new people round to lunch at my house. They got in first. They invited me around for lunch. It was absolutely fascinating what they did. They didn't have anything prepared. They, we just pitched up. They got the bread out. They got the margarine out. They put the margarine on the bread, slapped some stuff in the middle, and gave it to us. Some of you would not dare to do that. 
Because your expectation is that if I'm to have anybody in my home, if you have a home to do that with, that it's got to be something special. Especially if you invite a pastor around. Expectations can be crippling in this. We sometimes turn the grace of time with people into an ordeal. I don't, my wife doesn't have to be Pauline Gollings. We were around there last Sunday afternoon. You cannot go round to Pauline Gollings' house without getting too much food. <laughs> Not too much in a bad way, just loads of food. It's a gift. Let me tell you, that is not the level of expectation. If that's your gift, may God bless you, especially when I'm round. That is not the level of expectation. We're saying our hearts, our lives wide open. You can do that, whether you can do a lavish meal or not. Selfishness, second one. It's not, <laughs> it's not much to say about that, really. Except the root sometimes, certainly of my non-open-heartedness, can be a pervasive selfishness. Lloyd-Jones Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the whole trouble in life is ultimately a concern about self. So I feel that it's my time. I feel it's my home. I feel it's my space. I feel it's my finances. Let me just remind you what you know. It's not. The earth is the Lord's and... Let's do that again. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. What you have is on loan for you to steward and use as graciously as possible. And busyness. See, it's not only a question of whether your heart has space for people, it's a question of whether your diary has space for people, for inviting them into your world. Last week at Citygate Southbourne, I was looking at verse 10 in this passage. Honour one another above yourselves. And honour is the English translation of the Greek word time. We would transliterate it T-I-M-E. And I said this, you give people time honour by giving people time. No time, no time. Let me say this to you. You can give people some time. That's the essence of hospitality. That's the essence of a heart wide open. All of which is why diocontes is an important word. Because being hospitable and a lover of people with a big heart and an open life and an open home if you have one with which to do that means striving. Striving not to be held down by expectations, by selfishness, by busyness, but rising above those and saying, God, your agape is astonishing. Help me to be agape wherever I go. John Piper says, the most natural thing in the world is to neglect hospitality. It is the path of least resistance. All we have to do is yield to the natural gravity of our self-centered life. And the result will be a life so full of self that there is no room for hospitality. So the Bible bluntly says, he says, stop that. Build a launching pad. Fill up your boosters and blast out of your self-oriented routine. Stop neglecting hospitality. Practice hospitality. So as we come to a close, let me ask you, where do you need to work against gravity in order to keep your heart wide open to all sorts of people? 
expectations hold you down, selfishness hold you down, busyness hold you down, all sorts of other things could do, perhaps. So as we come out of lockdown, whatever that looks like for all of us, I want you to go away from this morning with one piece of action. And it might be some of these. On Sundays, it could be this. Speaking to one person you don't usually. On Sundays, speaking to a guest. Finding someone. I've never spoken to them. Practice hospitality. On Sundays, serving, as many of you do already, so that people, children, young people are welcomed here. Maybe in your life group, taking the initiative to invite someone different to spend time with you rather than the usual ones. If you're a man and you're married, if you have a family, can I encourage you to do this? Take the initiative in leading your family to be hospitable. Men, please don't leave it and say, well, that's just not my department. What are you talking about? If you're the head of your family, Romans 12 verse 13b has to apply to you, shaping your family, modeling something to your children. If you've got children still at home, this is what the life of God looks like. And maybe in your community, what does open-heartedness look like in your workplace? As we've said before, that person that no one wants to speak to, take them for a coffee. Say hello, open your heart a bit. That person in your street that no one is interested in, maybe that's what you're to do. One action, one person. Practice hospitality. Perhaps you could just close your eyes just now because I want to just make sure we've concentrated and taken a few seconds just to say, what is my action? As we come out of lockdown, what does that look like for me? Maybe someone God's putting on your heart. Maybe a thing to stop doing. Maybe a thing to start doing. May this be a community that reflects God's outstanding and outrageous hospitality to us. For our good, for his glory, and for the good of the community in which we live.